We are about one month into the NBA season. And boy, things are starting to heat up really well here. There's a lot of teams in contention. Again, as we've been pointing out on this podcast, a lot of 500, a lot of teams that are creeping towards that 500 mark or falling to that 500 mark. What's up, guys? Spencer Davies, along with Brian Fritz, bringing you another episode of Keeping It 94, part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. Can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. So make sure that you go and listen to us, leave us a comment, rate, subscribe, do anything you can to help us out. We'd really appreciate it. But Brian, my man, how was your week? It's doing well, man. Uh, it's a dreary day here as we're taping a day early on a Monday and uh, kind of overcast. And I'm just uh, enjoying conversation with you and enjoying a hot beverage in my Mr. Rogers mug. All right. Sounds good. I've got a cherry Powerade right next to me on the stand here. And uh, we're not opening this week talking about football, uh, even though Tom Brady is just uh, going to go right back to the Super Bowl where he always goes. Yeah, we've got and, a Super Bowl uh, set now. Yeah, Super Bowl set. Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Somebody, And you're going to find this funny because uh, just a short little background here. Me and Brian go back a while for the NBA, but we also go back in the world of wrestling. I saw somebody compare Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes to Hulk Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania 18. <laughs> How funny is that? That's that, crazy. That is pretty good. And it fits. It fits so good, too, because Tom Brady's totally the heel here. <laughs> well, he is, but he could go into it being the uh, the good guy when it's all said and done. Because if you remember <laughs> when Hogan and Rock had that match, I mean, Hogan went in as the bad guy and it was in Canada. And during that match, the Canadian fans are like, no, no, no. We want to root for the Hulkster. The guy, the guy. But yep, Super Bowl, that's set for two weeks from Sunday. And uh, that should be one hell of a a matchup, but we're not here to talk about the pigskin. We're here to talk about the leather on the basketball court on the hardwood. So Brian, let's kick this off. Uh, I'm pretty sick and tired. Like honestly of, of I'm sure our audience is too of hearing about COVID. We know how much it has affected the season. We know how, you know, serious the issue is and it's not going to go away. But I mean, I, I, it's just kind of, you know, it's, uh, it's overdue, you know, it's over, Overcovered, like, like like it's just it's too much. It's like overload. That, I think it's I just frustrating, isn't it? Yes, it's it's quite frustrating. And like you know, like you have to talk about it um, because it is seriously affecting the uh, NBA season and who's been playing and stuff. But I mean, I've talked about this I think for three or four podcasts already, and I'm just like I don't want to talk about it anymore because what else can you add to the conversation? You know, like I think the only thing that's really changed about it is. Well, well, two things. Number one, good on the NBA for kind of planning for this just in case from the standpoint that they only put out the first half of the schedule because there's going to be a lot of makeup games, especially if you're like you're the Wizards and some other teams. um, I think we're at a total of 23 or 24 right now. Yeah, somewhere around there. But the, the other thing is, too, that the NBA has adjusted on the fly here from the standpoint that they were making teams play some games. Like if you've got eight people that can dress, shove them out there. I don't care, you know, if they're in your rotation or not. If you've got warm, eight warm bodies, put them out there. And the NBA has changed that from the standpoint of now saying, you know what, it's just not fair to everybody. So let's, let's just postpone some games. I mean, you have to have a minimum of eight, but they're trying to be a little bit more fair about it from the standpoint of who you're actually able to play, who can dress, but that's also led to this avalanche of postponed games. But, you know, that's something I think they had to expect going into the season once you've got teams actually traveling around the country and playing games. And not to mention, too, a lot of the postponements have to do with the contact tracing element of it is a lot more strict. It's not that every person and every team is testing positive for COVID. It's that the they were in contact with somebody who had uh, an encounter with somebody who did test positive for COVID. So like that's a common misconception for um, a lot of people Uh, playing it safe is the right call here. 
Uh, I, I mean, I called for, you know, the pause or whatever it was uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, but like, it looks like they're doing it away, like almost like how the MLB was handling it. <laughs> like the Wizards, they literally until Sunday, they did not play a game for 13 days. And I think that was six games that they missed, as you said yeah. earlier uh, before we started recording. But uh, let's let's stick on to Washington here, though. Um, good to see them back on a court. It's always good to see Bradley Beal playing the game, even though he had a, he had a rough first half. Um, but Washington, I am so skeptical of them digging themselves out of this hole, uh, just because they cannot. Like Bradley Beal said, guard a parked car. They can score. Uh, And if one of their shooters gets hot, then, you know, look out. Because that's what, you know, Davis Bertans does. Bradley Beal, as we see, can drop 60 any night he wants to. Uh, It really hurts that they lost Thomas Bryant to the uh, ACL injury. Um, You know, they, but they do have a, you know, a good amount of young talent, you know, Denny Avdia. Uh, Rui Achimura, I think, uh, you know, Raul Nito has been playing a good role uh, in the backup situation. Get my man Troy Brown Jr. some minutes, please. Basketballnews.com's own Troy Troy Brown Jr. He needs to get some minutes on this team. Uh, He's playing about 18 a game right now. Um, Not enough for, like, especially what he showed us in the bubble. Uh, Jerome Robinson uh, has been asked to step up a lot, and he played a ton of minutes on Sunday 35 actually um but I I think what this comes down to though is when I'm watching Russell Westbrook play and I feel it's it sucks to watch so he's been dealing with a quad injury uh the last you know few weeks even before the you know COVID stuff hit the team uh but it's just it's been hard to watch him play basketball um it, he's he's lost, you know, a little bit of that athleticism. Uh, he's still doing the same thing as far as, you know, settling for the jumper, um, you know, jab, step, jab, step, uh, and then pull from that, like, elbow 15-foot area. Uh, it's not pretty. Uh, he's been settling for, for threes quite a bit, too. And he's actually, you know, for the – the, the amount of, of threes that he's taken over the last few years. And he's, you know, got it to almost like five a game. He's actually shooting close to 31%, which would be the best mark he's had in like five years. <laughs> but uh, it's just too many turnovers, um, dribbling himself into trouble. The explosiveness looks like it's not there. And I'm going to attribute that to the quad, but he just does not look like himself. You can see the visible frustration on his face. He's only played eight games this year. I mean, the Wizards have only played, you know, 12. But it's just, uh, it sucks as a fan of what Russ is and what Russ puts into this. I Like, he's irrationally one of my favorite players because he has the drive that he has. Uh, he'll never play with less than 110% at any game but it's getting to the point where you're starting to see that those old abilities are starting to slow down a little bit. Now he could always come once he's healthy, maybe he does bounce back. Who knows? But will it be that, you know, will it be too late at that point if he comes back and starts playing like Russ again to get back into things? And that's the worry I have with Washington. Well, that's the thing when it comes to watching Russ is that, when we saw him last year with Houston and the way that he started off the season working with Harden, it wasn't what we expected, but there was a, a, a period there where we got to see the best of Russ. He just said, I'm not going to settle for three point uh, shots. I'm going to attack the rim. This is my game. And for a while there, we saw the old Russell Westbrook. And then, you know, when the bubble came around, you know, he was recovering from COVID. Um, he was dealing with some injuries as well. So he didn't look the same once he was in the bubble. But going into the season and following the trade to Washington, people wondered, like, all right, he's had an offseason. He could be healthier. And now we get to see what he's going to do alongside Bradley Beal. Could we get that rust back that we got for a little while last season? 
And then now he's dealing with this quad injury. And I mean, I don't know if it's just a limited thing, but I think the thing that we're starting to figure out about Russ a little bit is that, you know, he's probably going to have some more of these injuries and these knickknack injuries, and they're going to affect him a lot more than they would some other guys just because of his age, but also the wear and tear this guy's put in his body because for, you know, as long as he's been in the NBA, Russell Westbrook is one of these guys who depends on his athleticism so much more than a lot of other players because he is a guy that attacks the rim so much. And he is a guy that can be fearless, but he's a guy that takes a pounding. I mean, look at what Blake Griffin's doing in Detroit because wondered like, all right, all word coming into the season was Blake is healthy. Maybe we can get him. And then you watch Blake Griffin and he is just not the same player anymore. Oh man. He's, he's looked, he, I mean, he's sad that, to watch. That's been, yeah. He's that's, sad. that's been really sad. I think I saw the other night he went like two for eight and had like six points for, yeah. And he's know, like, settling for jumpers and, you know, and that's the thing with Russ now. I mean, you look at this, I mean, he, he doesn't want to settle, but you can tell that, he is compromised right now. That athleticism is not there. It's not, it's not as bad as like watching, you know, Allen Iverson in the late stages of his career. But I think this is something we've always kind of wondered about is because he does depend on his athleticism so much. What is this going to mean, you know, once you get to a certain point in his career? And, and I hope it's something you can come back from. But right now, because of that, um, and the fact that Washington doesn't play a lick of defense. I mean, this is a team that's going to struggle. I mean, look at that trade with Houston now, you know, for, you know, the Russ and John Wall. Who got the better of that? By far, it's Houston so far. And now, you know, Washington has to be sitting there going, I'm not exactly sure what to do because is this the Russell Westbrook we're going to have going forward? All they can do right now is literally cross their fingers and hope that he can get healthy and he can play better because otherwise – they were trying to dig themselves out of a hole by making that John Wall trade, and they might have just dug themselves into a deeper hole. Yeah, yeah. And with Russ, too, that's what's so, so frustrating for me is that I know he's a good decision maker when he's, like, on, but, like, I just see that he's averaging, like, five turnovers a game right now, man. Like, it's, it, it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. Um, I think it's in his head a little bit because, yeah, he knows no, it that, is. you know, he's, he's, it is. he's ticked up beyond... I mean, going into the season, I I guess I drank the Kool-Aid a little bit like some other people thinking, hey, man, we're going to get a healthy Russ. We've got uh, Bradley Beal. Look at what these guys can do on the court. They got some shooters. Hey, things are on an uptick for Washington. I think they're going to make the playoffs. And now you look at it, they're 3-9. and nine. They're giving up over 121 points per game, which is by far the most in the NBA. And you literally get to a point now because of everything that has gone on this season with them having to postpone so many games and the injuries and how they're struggling to where when comes the point where they say, all right, we're playing for next season. I mean, you're only, you know, maybe a fifth of the way through the season that for them, even less because they've had to miss so many games, but it gets to a point where you have to say, all right, you know, um, let's just try to finish strong and let's start looking ahead to next season. And part of that might be, do we need to have a real discussion about Bradley Beal and the future of him with our team? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a fair assessment and it it's, it is still, you know, 12 games into the season, but I mean, you're going to have to dig yourself out of that hole fast and doing it without Thomas Bryant. That's going to be difficult. I know they did just bring in Alex Len. He played 21 minutes in his first game at 11 points, five rebounds, but you know, uh, you can't do it giving up over 120 points a game. I mean, no, no. the Bulls are giving up over 118, but I mean, uh, and the Kings are the other culprit that are giving up just over 121. Don't get me started. But it's it. it well, the, the crazy thing is when you look at the Wizards, it's exactly what we saw from them last year. OK, they're averaging almost 119 points a game. That is third in the league right now, but they're giving up 121.3. It's unbelievable. I mean, they're just in shootouts all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That, they're, they're definitely going to need to do some work. Um, but we should say that they have not played a game in 13 days, almost two weeks. So maybe it takes them a little bit more time to get into a groove. But you know who has been getting into a groove, Brian, is the Utah Jazz. Man, they are just on this huge streak right now. 12 and four, you know, 
they're just right up there with the Lakers and Clippers, basically. And um, looks like they found their offensive mojo. Uh, and I wanted to point out, too, because he was getting so much flack last year before the bubble. And that's Mike Conley. A lot of people are going to, you know, point to Donovan Mitchell and that completely fine, completely understandable because, you know, he is the superstar of that team. But Mike Conley is somebody they brought in last year to say, you know, to bring in to be more of a, a consistent every night type of player. And he struggled. He struggled uh, for the first, you know, I'd say 60 games or so. And then once they got into the bubble, Conley started to find his groove a little bit. Well, this year that's continued because he is just shooting lights out. He is protecting the basketball. He is diming. He knows when to go up for that floater. He's almost got two steals a game. Uh, I think he's a very underrated player. I think that he deserves a lot more respect. And uh, do you need to motivate him a little bit more like Shaq? Because I mean, I don't know how good of a player he's going to be if he doesn't get the proper motivation. Oh man, you're going to go to that. You're going to go to that. So, Hey, let's preface it with this. Uh, our own Yasmin Dwale and um, we also had uh, Alex Kennedy both spotlighted uh, that whole fiasco of inside the NBA. Uh, we had two articles on that. So make sure you go to basketballnews.com and read those because it's uh, really good perspectives. Um, one, hearing what was said from said TNT crew, AKA Shaq and Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith. Uh, I don't really include EJ because I don't think EJ goes at anybody. <laughs> no, he does not. <laughs> EJ's just EJ's just there to to guide the show. Ernie but, is the host. He is going to be kind of he's just kind of making the show work. Right, right. You know, but but what I wanted to say is there's also the the response to to what was said by Joe Ingles, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell himself, just that team in general, just coming to his aid, coming to his back. Donovan Mitchell, that is. And that's good to see because that means that there's team camaraderie. I don't, we, Brian, we spent like 15 minutes talking about this on episode two or three. We talked about Shaq going at Rudy, right? Yeah. So is it something with the jazz? Is it something that he doesn't like about the jazz? Did like I, John Stockton, like say something bad to him back in the day. And not that I am aware of like, I mean, what is the problem? What is the issue? I really think that what some of this is, is that in particular, when it comes to Shaq, I don't know about Barkley. Okay. I I think it's a little bit different when when the criticism comes from Charles, what his motivation is. But I think from Shaq, I think Shaq's trying to look at it kind of like this old school manner of stuff like tough love. Yeah, it's what tough he's looking at. You haven't done it until you've done it in the playoffs. And what he's trying to do, I think, to some extent, is I think that Shaq really likes the Jazz. And I do think that he kind of likes these players, I, except for Gobert. For some reason, Shaq is exceptionally hard on, on other bigs um, because of the way that he played. And, and Gobert's game is totally different from Shaq's. So he's trying to, you know, think of some kind of like apples to apples comparison with Gobert in his game when it's apples to oranges. But when it comes to Mitchell, I think he really likes Donovan's game, but he's trying to say like, okay, let's see if you take it to another level. And he wants to give him this tough love and he thinks he's motivating him. But I think the problem here is that is kind of an ideology that does not work with today's NBA player. It's a different game and it's different players. Players are empowered in a totally different way than they were even when Shaq played, you know, and especially before then. So it's, it's going to be a little bit different, you know, and, and I don't think Shaq has caught on to that. And um, that was quite the exchange when Shaq basically to his face or via Zoom or whatever the heck it was when Mitchell was on the sideline right after a game and Shaq told him like, hey, you know, you know, you're not really, uh, you know, tickling me yet with what you've done. And Donovan's like, whatever, man, I like my game. I think I'm playing well. I mean, Donovan handled it exceptionally well. I think the person that kind of looked foolish out of this was Shaq. And, and that's just something where as good as that show is and how, as much as I like Shaq and Ernie and Chuck and Kenny and how great that show has been, I, I kind of wonder if they need some fresh blood on there because I don't, they have a valuable perspective 
to the game, but I don't think they're truly in touch with today's players, especially younger players. They definitely need like a liaison. <laughs> like, I mean, there's such a better way to frame that question, first of all. And I, I know oh, that yeah. Shaq was trying to do good on that, but it just came off so bad. And that, like, I, I don't want to try to, you know, find the perfect way to do it, but like, maybe he could have asked it like, what if I was to tell you and then followed up with the way he said it instead of saying it as a statement, for God's sake. Right. And, and then, then there's, there's other ways to do it. I mean, hell, you could just say like, and then what the hell does he have to back that up? Does, <sighs> does he see what Donovan Mitchell did against the Nuggets last year? He averaged a league high 36.3 points per game in the playoffs. This is one of the other things I think when it's I look so at dumb. He, when he, I, he, when he I look got, at some of the studio guys and what they're talking about, because I openly admit that they don't watch the games like closely. There, there you they go. Have them on in the background. Well, our own uh, Nikias uh, Duncan from the, uh, the Dunker Spot podcast recently pointed out how Paul Pierce was talking about. I can't remember what team it was. About the Cavaliers. The, it was about the Cavs and their defense. And didn't realize like the Cavs have one of the best defenses in the game. And it's like, Paul, are you not watching the games? Like if you're going to be. If that's your studio, job. If that's your job, right? Do your job. You know, like I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's that you simple. Got, you got Nikias on Sunday. People go asking him about watching football on Twitter, and he goes, "No, I'm watching NBA games because that's what I get paid to do." Guess what, Paul? That's what you get paid to do. So watch the freaking games, and if you don't know, don't say it. Don't say something where you can get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. And I think that's what we get here to some extent. I'm like, hey, I think. Paul Pierce is a very smart guy. I think Shaquille is very smart. I think Charles is very smart. But at the same time, I think you have to, there's, there's a way to criticize, especially when it's noted or when it's deserved. But why are you going after Donovan Mitchell when the guy is playing great? I'm not saying right. that. And they, and they always talk about, they always talk about, you know, the younger generation's entitled. I mean, it's, sound, it's sounding like they're entitled because they're not doing their jobs. They're not really putting in the work to, to make themselves better at what they do. Right. Like it's not, it's not fair. And it's not fair to what these, you know, young men are, are doing and putting into their craft. And again, it is illogical what I'm saying about Jonathan Mitchell about last year's playoffs is he was outstanding and he was amazing. Like there's no ifs, ands or buts, ifs, ands or buts about it. I mean, and this year it's continued. I mean, why are you picking on this? I, team? I don't get it. I why mean, are you picking on Donovan Mitchell? Like you, you, if, you you pick on somebody, if you pick on somebody else next, then I'll see it's a pattern, and then I'll be like, okay, he's not picking on the Jazz. Right. I mean, he did say something to Christian Wood saying, oh, I didn't know who you were. Like, yeah, he did say, and that's another one where I'm sitting there going, what the that hell? means you're not watching games. I'm like, that, to admit that on TV, I mean, that's brutal honesty, but at the same time, it's so dumb to admit that. And, I mean, hey, I understand if you don't want to just tell everybody how great they are, that's fine. And you can be critical and everything, but at the same time, if somebody's playing really good, tell them that you can do don't that. And, 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 yeah, exactly. Don't man. <laughs> and when it comes to Donovan, I mean, you want to be critical of it and you want to say it to his face. That's great. I appreciate it. But I think there's a better way to say it where you're not going to come off as such a jackhole because that's exactly what happened there. And you're talking about a guy that's helping a team right now. That's a half game out in the West. The Jazz are playing great ball. Going into the season, we kind of wondered, okay, what Jazz team are we going to get? Because there's still expectations. They lost on a last-second shot that got them out of the playoffs. And then for some reason, everybody thought like, oh, well, now they're like going to be in the middle of the West because they didn't get out of that round. And, and the whole Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell stuff with the sure. virus, that was probably playing into it. But it seems like and all they nothing done is, about that is yeah, even... Yeah, I mean, they've come back. Mitchell and Gobert have put it behind them. They're playing, those two are playing great ball together. Mike Connolly looks like the Mike Connolly that we got in Memphis a little bit, not the one that we got the first year with the Jazz. He's playing a lot better. And Jordan Clarkson, who some people boy JC. about the money My boy that they JC got. JC off the bench, baby. That's a, that's he, he's a six, six man, man of the year right now. He's yep. six man of the year right now. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, Clarkson, all he's done is shot almost 50% from the field and hitting, you know, over 40% from threes. So, I mean, He's deserving that contract that he's gotten. So, I mean, they're playing great ball together. And I love that bench, by the way. You just mentioned Jordan Clarkson, but Joe Ingles is coming off the bench now too because 
Uh, Bojan Bogdanovich is starting and back and healthy. So they've been able to kind of use JC and Joe as, as their facilitators and their scorers. Uh, Ingles playing that kind of point forward position. They got Derek Favors back. That's nice. Um, you know, Quinn usually goes about eight, nine deep. Uh, George Niang, that's the, the other guy who, who gets pretty much consistently about, you know, 12 minutes a game or so. Uh, but I, it's a it's a good squad, man, and, and and they started off a little bit shaky. But I mean, who doesn't? Who hasn't started off shaky? Who hasn't had a rough patch at some point in the season? It's happening to everybody. Nobody nobody's not even close to perfect. Everyone's close to that five hundred mark. It's 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 all over the place. So you had you had some notes in here. Obviously, the Clippers being as as good as they have been, uh, they've won seven in a row. Uh, We've talked about Paul George before, but I think it's hilarious that none of us are saying anything about Kawhi Leonard and he's just kind of ho-humming along. Like I, 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 I did our uh, tweets of the day at basketballnews.com today. And, you know, Kawhi just has this ridiculously good game uh, against, I believe it was the Thunder on Sunday. Uh, they had two straight against the Thunder. They, both, they won both. But he had 34 points, eight assists, and nine rebounds. And he didn't turn over the ball once. he went 14 and 24 from the field like he did he only shot two free throws that's the hilarious part but my point is you know we're talking about paul george 50 50 90 season which is crazy right like 50 percent field goals 50 percent threes 90 percent free throws right how about Kawhi leonard having a 50 40 90 season as well <laughs> Kawhi's got a PR I mean, over twenty eight right now, and the Clippers are number he's, two he's, in offensive efficiency. And he's almost been like the second guy there right now. And he, you know he's not the second guy there, but he's playing that role just at the minute right now. He's coasting along. He's being Kawhi. Well, that's because and, Paul George is playing above his skis so much. Not that he hasn't been a really good player in the league for a long time, but it's like. It's easy to go a little bit under the radar when he's actually putting up better numbers than Paul George, but we expect that a little bit more from Kawhi. They have four guys on that team shooting over 50% from the field. That's just insane. Insane. Like, I can name you their top three-point shooting guys. Paul George, 48%. Marcus Morris, 47%. Nick Batum, 45%. Luke Kennard, 45%. Kawhi, 42%. Pat Bev, 41%. Reggie Jackson, 38%. And that's their, their worsts are going to be Serge Ibaka, 37%. And Lou Williams, who's having a down year because he's probably not getting as much playing time as usual. He's shooting 35%. Are you surprised by Batum and how well That's their he's top played? 10. Brian, that's their top 10. I know. They've got nine guys that are shooting over 35%. Are three. you surprised by Batum and how well he's played? Uh, I'm not because a change of scenery does, does you well. Uh, I think that Ty Lu being the coach that he is. He's a player's coach. He's somebody that can connect with those guys. Uh, Ty's probably played against Nick Batum at some point in his career. Um, Batum, as we knew him in Portland, was a glue guy. A really good glue guy. Uh, That glue guy got paid a whole bunch of money by Charlotte. And then his role dramatically changed. He became the, he became, like, he was trying to become the guy there. Right. And then he had the injuries and then, you know, it was just probably a lot of pressure that mounted on him. And a lot of people seem to forget once that happens, once those non-role players are off those big contracts, because it happens a lot. Uh, they can go back into a specific role where not that much is asked of them. Nick Batum's probably the fourth or fifth wheel on this team as far as a scorer goes. Yeah. But he and does his job. He knows what he's doing. He gets boards. He, he passes the ball. He can play some defense. Is he that, that athletic anymore? Probably not. But he's been in the NBA for a good, you know, over a decade or so. So I don't see it as that big of a surprise. Well, he was always kind of a guy that should have never been a number one or probably even a number two option on a team. He was probably best fitted to be. Of course, you're going to get paid all that money. That's what you work for, you know? Right, right, right. But but he just just wasn't that guy. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, his game probably best fit being the third best guy on a team. And uh, everything he's done so far this year, like you said, he's probably, you know, he's definitely not the player that he once was. But when you get on a team like this, I think they figured out his role a lot better. They have him, 
you know, the Clippers even have him running the offense sometimes from the top of the key a little bit, you know, when they, uh, when they go to kind of their, Hey, let's switch on everybody uh, lineup that they can do. So, you know, I'm, you know, I think you got to be pleasantly surprised by Batum. I mean, I think he's, he's being a lot more careful in his shot selection as well this year. I mean, he's playing almost 30 minutes a game, but, uh, you know, he's put up just 10 points a game. I think he's and he's shooting over 50%. So he's he's finding other ways to be involved. I mean, you know, he's getting five rebounds, getting a couple of assists a game. Um, he's not turning the ball over a lot. So he's doing other things for this team, and he has fit in very well. He has. And I think that, you know, Ty's finding a good rotation for these guys right now. Um, he's He's usually one not to go too deep into his bench. Right. Uh, but uh, he's he's done a nice job of, of kind of curbing these minutes, uh, especially for, I think, uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Um, I mean, that's something similar too you're seeing over with the Lakers. I think it's LeBron and AD averaging the least amount of minutes that they've played. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. In their absolutely. career or I mean, something. And it's funny <laughs> because going into the season, everybody's like, all right, well, they'll, they'll start things off slow for LeBron, just kind of ease him into the season. LeBron's like, hell no, man. I'm going full throttle from the get-go. He hasn't missed a game yet. But that being said, I mean, both of them only averaging 32 points or 32 minutes a game. Yeah. And let's, let's stick on that, actually, because going away from the Clippers, let's go to the Lakers because I, that Lakers-Bucks game, uh, was really good. Uh, what was it? Uh, last Tuesday? Or last Wednesday? One of the two? Last, uh, maybe last Thursday. Thursday, I, I believe. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm losing track of time. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but that was a really fun game. Uh, somebody that I'm noticing, and, you know, God willing, the uh, opportunity to write an article about him at some point here. Uh, maybe uh, after we record this, uh, because the Lakers are in Cleveland on a mm. Monday night. Can can I make a uh, guess on who you're going to talk about? Who's that? You're talking about somebody from the Lakers. It's been correct. intriguing. I think you're going to be talking about one KCP. You are correct, my friend. Bingo. And I, I want to get to the bottom of this. Uh, and it's not because the, the you know the the dude is just absolutely an efficiency monster this year. Uh, he knows where shots are coming from. He's not trying to do too much. He knows his role. Um, you know, maybe that kind of, you know, weight got lifted off of his back when the championship got won, and then he gets this contract with, with the Lakers. You know, what is it, a three-year deal that he signed this offseason? Yeah. Maybe that's what, what does it. He has been so good spotting up this year. Spot up three guy. He's shooting 56% from, from three right now, man. You know, take about four a game. Is that number one in the league right now, or is that two? I believe it's two. Uh, you might want to look that up as I ramble here, but uh, yeah, uh, I think it, I think it's two because Caruso is averaging almost fifty-seven percent. Oh wow! How many? Hey. How, let's see how many Caruso is is uh, averaging. Cru- a game. <laughs> <laughs> how many attempts? How many attempts? <laughs> Not as many. Uh, I have to look it up. What is it like? 1.3. I'm <laughs> uh, looking it up right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But KCP, real talk, uh, 11 points a game, um, getting a steal a game. If you look at his metrics, they're just off the charts. This is exactly what the Lakers need. And they got it from him in the finals, too. So this is kind of bled over. Uh, he knows what his role is, and he is starring in that role. Oh yeah. Like he he might be the best role player in the in the league right now the way he's playing. By the way, Caruso's averaging two and a half three attempts per game while okay. KCP is averaging four point seven. Not horrible. Not horrible. No, no. And 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 I think you're right because for, for a couple of years, I think KCP was trying to figure out what his role with this team is. I mean, hey, his early days in Detroit and when he became a free agent before he came to the Lakers, he thought he was gonna be, you know. Uh, you know, probably a number two guy on the team. And, you know, he wanted to get paid. He didn't get the big contract. He went to the Lakers and they get LeBron James. And, you know, the Lakers have changed a couple of times in trying to figure out where they were going to be. Like first you had the team with LeBron, but without AD, then they bring an AD, you know, last season. And so now you look at them and I think he feels 
a lot more comfortable in his role, what he is being asked to do. He knows where to be on the court. You've got two guys out there and LeBron and Anthony Davis that are going to get so much attention. The KCP knows that if he has sprints down the court and gets into a corner, he's going to have a fair share of open shots. Corner, elbow, with, above the break. I've yes. seen him hit him from everywhere, honestly. And, 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 and he's just playing with so much confidence right now. And, and you look at that game against the Bucks last week, he had 23 points. He was 7 to 10 from three-point range. He went crazy in that game in particular. He did, and he killed me in DraftKings because I didn't take him. I took Bobby Portis instead. By the way, Bobby Portis, <laughs> shout out to Bobby Portis. He had 21 points against the Hawks yesterday, and he's having a phenomenal season off the bench for the Bucs. Um, but I think but it's no, just yeah, a situation just, of a guy where this is where chemistry plays so big of a factor, I think, with teams because, you know, you go in there and you start developing chemistry with guys, and this isn't something, you know, this is something that's built over time. And he just kind of says, like, he's accepted his role and just says, I know what I need to do for this team to win. I've got my contract. I feel comfortable with where I'm at, you know, as a player, as a person, what I need to do. I think Frank Vogel has spelled it out very carefully to everybody on this team, what they're expected to do. And he has totally accepted it. And, you know, look, look at what he's doing so far this year. I mean, he's going crazy. He's just hitting open shots left and right. Yep. And I'm, I had to give you that opportunity to get, you know, back on the, the Lakers good side. Cause I know last week we recorded <laughs> about how good the Lakers are playing. And then they went ahead and lost a, uh, a game. Can I tell you a funny story Warriors, about that? Was it was well, against it? the Warriors? Yeah. So early on in that game, the Lakers were up, I want to say by like 20 or something like that. Even in the third quarter, the Lakers were up for whatever reason that day I was kind of tired. And I was like, this game's over. I'm going to bed. And I woke up the next morning and had no idea. I finally said, I was like, wait, wait, Golden State won that game? Oh, what? And then it was one of those typical, hey, you know, Steph Curry's going to get it going and everybody else starts feeling it as well. And now you never know, do that. Never you, do that in the National Basketball Association, yeah. Brian. And, and, you know, the Lakers had taken their foot off the pedal. And next thing you know, the Warriors got it going and the Lakers couldn't ramp it back up and the Warriors stole them. Unless it was the Cavs against the Celtics on Sunday, you knew you knew that one was over after the first quarter just by well, just by body language. That, well, it's <laughs> funny because the Cavs are riding that high, man. We just beat the Brooklyn Nets twice, including man. once they had the big three on the court, and Colin Sexton was like, "No, no, no, man, I might be the best guy on the court of these man, two games." I'll tell and then, you, and then they go and they laid an egg against the Celtics. I I've talked about that experience at length. Uh, I went on Clips and Drew's podcast. Somebody else had me on their podcast. I believe it was uh, Points of the Pain on Stadium. Um, you know, I was asked because everyone wanted to talk about Colin Sexton. Everybody did. Uh, and it's hilarious because, I mean, I've been talking about Colin Sexton for three years. <laughs> like, I just, I just know the kind of drive that, that that guy has. They call him Bull for a reason. It's not, it's not just a nickname, man. He's just goes after it, man. He just goes after it. He's just consistently made his game better. Um, he's drawing more attention now, so that's opening up his ability to play make for others. Um, he's really got that in-between game on. If the big drops, he's going to pull up from mid. If the big steps up, he's going to blow right past him and get a layup or spray it out. Um, it's just it's a wonderful thing to see just because uh, he deserves so much of this attention. Uh, the way that that his work ethic is and how much he puts into it. Uh, I, I just hear stories from all kinds of people around that, that the Cavs organization about, you know, just this, these little tidbits like coming into the gym at like 3 a.m. after a loss on the road, um, you know, like, you know, things like that. Staying staying extra after a loss at home to get shots up because he didn't shoot as well as he wanted to or going to the free throw line and practicing those if you didn't have a good night at the charity stripe. Like those types of stories are, are really what gets me going about, about Colin and the, the world's starting to figure that out. Um, this this pivoting to this Celtics game. Um, I think that one, the Cavs were riding a three game winning streak. JB Bickerstaff said they were winning. They're reading their own press clippings, which I, I find funny. <laughs> um, Wow, the but, Cavs are getting positive press clippings. How about that? What a world. I know. I know. I know. Uh, and the Celtics, they had been on their own losing streak, and they were just pissed off. Uh, and you could see it from the beginning. 
I mean, Jalen Brown came out, scored 33 points in 19 minutes. Like <laughs> that's, I believe I read that that was the most by a player in NBA history under in under 20 minutes. So uh, that was just him going like there. I have not seen Kemba look as spry and as much pep in a step than he did against Cleveland. Um, by the way, a Cleveland team who came into that game second in defensive rating in the NBA dropped to sixth. Uh, after that game, because it was a 141 103 final, I believe, which 141 103. Yeah, by the way, um, Isaac Okoro with quite the stat, um, he put up a minus 39 on plus minus. It's a rookie night for you. <laughs> if, you if you want to, hey, if you want me to get a plug in there, you want to see what he did to James Harden, what James Harden couldn't do against him, go ahead and go to basketballnews.com because he shut him down on Wednesday and for the most part of Friday. So uh, this is a rookie game. Yep. It happens. Uh, you know, they come with ups and downs. If hey, you're a minus 39, had a minus 37. So <laughs> it's, it's not a good day if you're a minus 37. No, I mean, <laughs> they, were, they were down 17 after the first quarter. It was 22 at the half. And, and, the and is, like you're sitting there going 22. You know, this year, how many times have we seen guys come back from 20-point deficits and the Celtics said, no, we're going to outscore you by another 14 in the third quarter? And I know that the optics look bad for this for Cleveland just because, you know, the Knicks came into Boston and won last Sunday and it was the, one of the ugliest games that the Celtics played. You know, the Celtics have had some games since then. Uh they were mad, like I said. I think that the physicality and the style was very similar to what Cleveland plays, so it kind of took them off guard because the Nets aren't like really into you on defense. Like they're they're kind of passive on that end right now, um, and they just flat out don't have the personnel to make it work with the bigs. But now you come into Boston, you play Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice starting in the same lineup. Those looks in the paint aren't going to come as easy. You're going to have to hit a lot of jumpers, and yes. the Cavs did not. The Cavs did not hit those many jumpers and they turned it over and it was just a big mess. Uh, but it does say a lot about Boston because I think Boston is going to be in good shape. Uh, these, these COVID things uh, have, you know, kind of taken them down a little bit. But Jason Tatum supposed to return Monday night against, I believe, the Bulls. Yeah, uh, once they get Tatum back, I think they'll get back on track. They've kind of been up and down without him. and They'll be fine. But they'll I mean, Jalen Brown has been so much better. You oh, Jalen. Uh, Jalen just looks so He's been good. incredible. And, you know, you mentioned your, your, uh, your guy, Colin Sexton. I mean, I kind of, you start, I know we're going to talk about some things like looking down the line, but um, when it comes to kind of who could be winning some awards this year, but you got to think that Sexton and maybe Jalen Brown, I don't know if you want to really throw him in the discussion um, because it wasn't like, he was playing bad or made like this massive jump from last year. Neither but, was Luka Doncic and he won the damn award. But I was going to say, who could be the most improved guy? And you look at, you know, Colin Sexton and Jalen Brown are two of the guys that have to be in the conversation. Yeah. They, I mean, they have to be in the conversation. You have to include Christian Wood, who's just getting double-double after double-double for Houston. Uh, I think that a guy like Mikel Bridges, just because of, of the efficiency rate, um, is is definitely in that air. And by the way, had an interview with the budding sons, young forward on basketballnews.com. So go check that out. Um, also talk to Derek Jones, Jr. Who's on the Portland trailblazers um, one-on-one as well. So make sure to go check out those interviews. Cheap plug there for you, Brian. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's going to be a close race, honestly, because there are a lot of, of guys who are making that next step. Um, I didn't even think about Jalen Brown for that award just because he has been so good, but that that's an interesting point, man. Uh, he honestly, he would have to lead it for me, but is it more impressive to build on and, and just like, cause this with Christian Wood, I mean, he is doubling his points. He's averaging a double double and the most minutes, like that's, that's a tough decision. That's it a really is. tough. I don't want to be the committee in that one. We've got a long way to go. Jalen Brown, I almost wouldn't consider him just because he has been so good already. And I think he's made another jump, but I don't think it's enough to really put um, from six man. And plus, it's not like this was just his, you know, last year was his first or second year in the league. So the guys I would look at are Sexton, um, Christian Wood, John Morant, 
Somebody you bring up you bring up Morant too, and that's interesting um, because he's only in his second year. Not a lot of second year guys win that. No, uh, they don't. But I and, mean, and and you you also sorry I didn't want to cut you off. Um, but since he's been back and the Grizzlies have been fighting, uh, they've been on a little roll here. Yeah, I mean they. It's amazing, kind of what they bought into in that system there, and we talked about this. Um, you know, last week about just kind of they're buying into a system where those guys, they go out there and they play hard. You got to earn a win against the Grizzlies on most night and having job back in there after he missed that stint. And he was back a lot quicker than anybody thought he was going to. He only missed what about three weeks. We thought he was going to miss like over a month. So, I mean, John Morant, you know, especially at the end of games, he's a closer. I mean, that's what you're seeing. I mean, that guy knows how to win games when they're tight and he makes the plays and he comes through and he's only in his second year and you just look at him and go, you know, the best is yet to come and you want to see how, how much he improves, but you can already see that leap from last year. I think so too. And you mentioned, you know, making the plays when they need to be made. Look at the last two games for, for Memphis. They won by two against the Sixers and then they won by four against the Suns. And those are close games. In close game situations, you need the closer. You need the guy that's going to take you to home. And yep. and he did. You know, he made some big plays down the stretch in those games. So yeah, that's a that's a good point. I just never I never thought of the second year guy as the most improved. And then I never thought of Jalen Brown. But now <laughs> Jalen Brown's going to move up my list. Um, when you look at John Morant, fifth year guy. Yeah, I mean John Morant's got a PR almost at twenty five. Yeah, he's very meaningful to the team. And yeah, so has Xavier Tillman meant to that team too. And again, I've, you know, done an article on them in basketballnews.com as well. Uh, but great job by the rookie, just stepping in play in the five um, really just gets an offense moving. Uh, it, it's, it's another one of them glue guys. That's those are so important folks. Don't just pay attention to the superstars, pay attention to the guys like PJ Tucker, you know, like the, the those guys that, that kind of, Get the wheels churning, Draymond. Them, them guys. They're very important. Uh, you, exactly, KCP. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's let's transition though. Since you want to talk about most improved player, let's talk about MVP. And this this right here is my least favorite conversation because if you leave one player out, that player's team, the fans of that team, are going to come at you just so so just ruthlessly. But well, that's fine. We could all be homers, but I brought this up because everybody always likes to talk about who's kind of the leader in the house for the MVP um, or who's the leader at this point. We're about 20% of the way through the season right now. That, that's the only reason why I brought this conversation. And yeah, it's probably a little bit too early, but you know, it's one of those things with it being a shortened season, you kind of, you start looking, you, you start looking and see who's really standing out. You know, because people are wondering, like, can, can Giannis go for three in a row? If not, who is it going to be? I think people were wondering about Harden again this year. And, you know, I, I don't think Harden is anywhere near the conversation. But there are a couple of people that in the, are in the conversation, I think, that are very interesting. The, the one that really stands out to me that I think you have to include is Joel Embiid. Because so many different times we've had questions about is Embiid ever going to take this seriously? Is he going to step up? Is he going to improve his cardio? He's done all those things. He's got a chip on his shoulder this year. He's improved his cardio. He's playing in the fourth quarter and he's making meaningful plays in fourth quarter games. And he is leading the Sixers right now. I mean, you look at what he's done. He's averaging almost 28 points over 11 rebounds a game. I still think he takes way too many threes, but he is dominating. And he's out there late in games, and that's what you need from that guy. And he's finally coming through and living up to some of that hype. If three of his 16 shots are threes, I'm okay with it. I'll take it. Um, and by the way, career high so far, career best, 40.5% from beyond the arc for the process. Uh, I like that you bring up Joel Embiid, though. Uh, shout out to the Sixers. Shout out to Daryl Morey and Elton Brand for really – Crafting the roster around uh, this team uh, as well as they did. Um, I think that there's depth. I think that there's shooting. Um, I think that there's young talent to be excited about, a.k.a. Tyrese Maxey, uh, maybe Shake Milton, 
you looking at what Shake Milton's doing this year? I mean, uh, there's, there's a ton to be excited about. Uh, and there's, again, depth. I, I think that the Sixers, I mean, I'm not being front-runner guy here, but I do think that they are going to be in that conversation to be into the finals, well, as they should be. You look at them right now, 12 and 5. If they they're, stay healthy, I should say. They're on top of the East. They definitely have played well. I mean, and the thing is, Ben Simmons has not played particularly well this year. He's had some ups and downs, especially with the trade rumors that were around him where he's he's never going to be like a massive scorer. But at the same time, I think that, you know, he's only putting up 13 a game. I think that's got to go up a little bit. But I mean, right now he's at almost nine rebounds and eight assists. Obviously, he's going to play great defense as well. So, you know, he's going to find a way to contribute. They've gotten so much more out of Maxi than you could have ever imagined. Um, you know, they've, they've got these other parts that they did not have last season. And then Embiid has put it together. And it is going to come down to health. That's going to be the number one thing when it comes to this team, I think. But, hey, how, how long have we been waiting to see this Joel Embiid? And I'm glad if he's ticked off and I'm glad he's got a chip on his shoulder and he got tired of hearing about this, that, and the other, you know, about his game and the way he plays May who knows, maybe Shaq sent him a text that really ticked him off. I don't know, but I mean, it, it's great to see, you know, what he's doing so far. And that's why I think he has to be in serious consideration early on for MVP. And I'm glad and, that you brought up his, his conditioning too, because the Pacers are playing, or I mean, the, the Sixers are playing fast this year. They are. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, another guy, I just wanted to mention real quick because I said it on like episode two or whatever it was of this podcast is Tobias Harris continuing to be who he has been under Doc Rivers his entire career when, when he plays for Doc Rivers. Yeah. It's happening right now still. So while we're talking about MVP, 50, 40, 92. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know it's, it's very, very early. My five, my top five in any order. I'm not even going to put them in order right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will put him beat in there. I will put LeBron, Giannis, Durant, and Jokic. And don't sleep like on it. Jokic for the numbers that he's putting up. Now, he's going to be one of those guys that everybody always hears about. Luckily, the voters know about, but I think just kind of your average everyday fan maybe doesn't realize the kind of numbers that Jokic is putting up and why he needs to be in the conversation so far this season. I'm glad that you listed your five because I'm not going to list any of my five. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a oh. guinea pig. You were the guinea pig and you didn't know it. I'm not going to be the guy. To oh, go back. Well, I can't. Well, let me, let me throw this out too. Okay. I, so, I did. I did want to say that I think Paul George is definitely in my top five though. Sure. For that. When it comes to some of these guys though, Giannis obviously is going for his third in a row. And we've seen this mentality. Now, mind you, some of the voters are obviously different from back in the day, but We've seen this mentality before when it comes to voting from a standpoint of, do I really want to vote for you? Because I've already seen you do it. Like you would have to wow me in some fashion that would have to make me say, yeah, you know, I have to vote for you. I mean, like I said, in the nineties, you know, Jordan was dominating and then Carl Malone got one, you know, and everybody's like, what? Um, And this is kind of the way it was for LeBron for a little while too, it looked like. But I think when it comes to Giannis, He's in the conversation right now, but I would not say that he's necessarily the MVP simply because I, I don't think his game is fully developed yet. And I haven't seen him take that next step, especially when it comes to what he's going to do in the half court offense, you know, in tight games in the last five minutes. And that's the part I think for his game that needs to evolve yet. But, um, and I think there's going to be some voters that are going to be out there going, that's not the right story for me, man. I need a different story. I mean, Giannis, I mean, two in a row, and I'm not going to give him that third one unless he's just damn overwhelming driven award. But what are the storylines that are out there right now? Kevin Durant coming back from a massive injury where he missed almost two seasons and he's with the Brooklyn Nets. And you look at this guy and he looks like he hasn't missed a step from the last time he came back on the court. He looks better. He, he looks, looks better. I don't know how incredible he is. I have incredible. no idea. No idea. No idea. And then, I, I, I watched him live last, yes. last Wednesday, and so, it was ridiculous. I think the story around him is incredible to where he obviously, you know, not just the numbers, but kind of what you can frame around him for this season. The other guy, though, is LeBron. 
because when you look at him, and I think the criteria is going to be a couple of things. Number one, the Lakers, you know, have the best record in the West right now, tied with it for the Clippers. Um, the the expectations there obviously are huge, but you know, while he has Anthony Davis on that team, he is not letting off the gas pedal. No. He is the guy that is still the alpha dog on that team. And when he wants to crank it up, he will crank it up. He's putting up good numbers. He's putting up very good numbers. But when he wants to take it to another level, like what happened last week against the Bucks against Giannis, he turned it up. He yep. turned it up a couple of notches and said, hey, man, uh, we're going to win this game, and I'm going to put up the numbers. I'm going to show you who the MVP is. That was a statement game right there. And, I mean, you look at LeBron, he's putting up 24 points a night. You know, he's got seven and a half assists, not as much as last year, but he didn't have a point guard like Schroeder last year as well. And you're starting to see him get so cocky with those jumpers. Like, do you see when he's shooting those threes, he's just like leaving the court before they even go, like, like before well, it even hits the rim or goes go, in. The- go back two weeks in James Harden's last game for the Rockets and look at the way that he clowned the Rockets when he did the bet. For anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, LeBron took a three from the corner right in front of his bench while he took the shot. Dennis Schroeder said, bet you. And LeBron turned around while the shot was in midair and said, I'll take that bet. And sploosh, it went in and LeBron won himself $100 from his teammate. And Like Tiger Woods and his damn putts. Just turn it around before they even get there. I mean, if you are not, if you're on the other team and you don't take that personally, I mean, you should. There's a reason that James Harden is no longer in Houston what? is the point. I mean, you look at that. I mean, that was that was an absolute insult that this guy's out there with his teammates and they are clowning you on the court and they don't even care. They don't they don't care whatsoever. They're like, we're whipping your ass and we're making side bets during the game because we feel so cocky against you. <laughs> Dude, talk about Jokic, though, because this one's interesting to me, uh, especially seeing where Denver is. I mean, they're, they're a couple games over 500, and again, the entire thing is jumbled right now. It but is. I'm looking at this, and, I, and I'm seeing the defensive issues that the teams had, but I'm also seeing Nikola Jokic having an unearthly type of season again. He is, because, I mean, you look at him right now, He's averaging 26 points a game, 12 rebounds, and almost 10 assists. He is averaging a triple-double for this team. He is the guy that basically spearheads their offense as well. Uh, and, I mean, Jamal Murray has been up and down so far this year. They've had injuries with Porter, you know, missing a bunch of games. But Big make against Phoenix, by the way. Oh, Sending yeah. him in overtime and won that game. That was huge for them. But the morally. Way- the way that Jokic has played this year, and I think a lot of it goes back to last season when he came back for the bubble and everybody was like, are we sure that's Jokic? I mean, I thought he had a lot of baby fat and he came back and he was in shape. I mean, there wasn't any fat on that guy anymore. And um, he, he is uh, the, the conditioning and the way that he has stayed in shape, he has stuck with, and he's playing at an incredible level. I mean, I keep going back to PER for some of these guys. He's at 31 right now. He's over a 31 on PER. And um, he is putting up incredible numbers for the Nuggets. So he has to be in the conversation. He has to be. Uh, by the way, they need more out of Jamal. It's a, it's a good step that they, they got that yeah. win against Phoenix. Oh, by the way, but, one other thing. When I talk about the whole narrative going into the MVP this year, I mentioned Durant You know, coming back from the injury, and that's going to be part of the conversation. I'm telling you, though, if the Lakers have the best record in the West, there's going to be more and more conversation about LeBron because you're talking about a guy that's what in his 17th season. And he, you know, he's not, you know, playing at any less of a level that he ever has. He's not easing his way into the season. He's not saving himself for the playoffs. He's out there every night playing hard, leading that team. And he's going to be in the conversation. I mean, you could tell that last year he really wanted it before um, everything happened with the pandemic. There was starting to be that conversation about maybe it's not Giannis. Maybe it's actually LeBron. I mean, and you know, it was right around when the Lakers had beat the Bucks last year. And uh, I mean, I, I think that's going to be part of it as well, because people are going to be like, wow, look at this guy, man. 
at this age, at this stage in his career with how many minutes he's logged and he's still playing at this elite level. That's going to be part of a conversation. It should be. It should be. I have one note before we get out of here, Brian. And it, it does actually have to relate to the Nets and Kevin Durant in a way. So, uh, you know, Durant coming off this Achilles injury, you figure, you know, let's pay attention to how many minutes he's playing. You know, same thing maybe with Kyrie, just because he's been away from the team. Just kind of make sure, you know. In a double overtime game, I saw Kevin Durant coming off of this Achilles injury against the Cavs play over 50 minutes. I have an issue with this. Um, he's also played a 40-minute game um, in our, against Orlando. Uh, I believe that was James Harden's debut. Um, all for, you know, wanting to, to get Durant out there, and obviously he's comfortable. That's not changing. He is, he is it, it, you know, usually that first week or two might start good with adrenaline, and then it's, you know, tails off. It has not tailed off. It's, it's KD being KD. We're not mistaking that. He's, he's, he's had uh, five games off this year, so they are, you know, kind of managing it. But this is what scares me about the Nets is, one, you have a lack of depth, and two, you have a rookie head coach that doesn't buy minutes at the end of quarters or ends of halves. Like, those two-minute spurts at the end of the, you know, end of the quarter or end of the half that you could you know, put some of your bench members in to, to just kind of buy some time um, for the, the long haul. You, it's too much to put on the starters. And the, the, that's the problem, though, is that Brooklyn is going to play their starters all this time because their bench is not, it's not great. It's not a great bench, guys. Um, they went probably seven and a half deep against Cleveland on that Wednesday. Uh, came back and played, you know, the, the the bench a little bit more that Friday, even though they got smacked up. Uh, it's, uh, you got to find a way to make sure that those guys are getting rest. And I want your opinion on that because that, that was something that I don't think anyone was really talking about from that game was the amount of minutes all three, it was James Harden, Kyrie, and Durant played. And I know that the, the Cavs had, you know, a couple guys over 50 minutes, and that's because it's a, you know, double overtime game. But in the case of Kevin Durant coming off of the Achilles injury, just for the wear and tear, I would have probably tried to keep him towards 45, 44. Um, yeah, what's your opinion on that? I mean, that's the same thing that stood out to me when I was looking at the box score that game, is that Kevin Durant, you know, played 50 minutes and they are relying so much on Durant. Harden's still playing his way into shape. He's averaging over 41 minutes a game right now on the season, which is nuts. It's like, is Steve Nash coaching this team or Tom Thibodeau? Um, <laughs> but, I Both mean, in New York. Right. I mean, but they're, they're riding these guys hard when it comes to their starters right now. And I mean, and they need, they do need some more depth on this team. But um, I think this is just some of, I want to get these guys minutes so we can try to figure out if we've got some chemistry here and, and get everybody going. But at the same time, there has to be a way to do that with managing minutes a little bit better. And I, and I understand you haven't had them on the court together much, you know, Harden just coming with the trade Irvin just coming back after you know his absence from the team. But I think you've got to be careful about that. Durant has showed that he is back to being 100%, but at the same time, I don't know if, you know, you can get away with that probably once with the 50 minutes right now. I would not make a habit of that. Um, even right now, he's averaging 36 minutes a game. And I kind of wonder, is that too much? Like, even if it's only like three minutes less, I think that would be a lot better. They add up. They add up at the end of the year. They, they do. And, and, and remember, you, you need to be able to sustain this the rest of the year. You yes. Can't, you can. 
it's the regular season. You know you're going to make the playoffs. Look at the talent on your damn team. And, and, like, and this team is not complete yet because no. I think they still got to make some more moves. There's some, there's some rumors about JaVale McGee, uh, right. you know, them being interested in him. I think there's going to be uh, some buyout no. options just after the trade deadline as well. You still have, you still have a guy like Dwayne Dedman out there. You know, like there's, there's plenty of guys that you could just bring in. I mean, they just brought in Norvell Pell. Uh, he was a young young player for the Sixers last year. Didn't get much playing time, but he's a shot blocker. Uh, so we'll see if he takes any of Reggie Perry's minutes, who's the current backup center right now. Um, as I put on Twitter, you're going to see a lot of five uh, with the Durant and Green combination. One, you know, one of those two is going to be playing the five when they go small a lot uh, until they figure out this paint protection problem because it's a real big problem right now. Yes. Okay, uh, Brian, I think that that's going to do it for us today. So uh, any parting words before we go? I guess the parting words would be, um, unfortunately, it was just a year ago that we lost Kobe Bryant. And I know that there's a lot of uh, remembrances for Kobe and um, what he has meant to everybody as a player and as a person. And um, it's still it's still very difficult, quite honestly, to talk about and to discuss, but um, it is at least wonderful that we have all these different things that we can honor Kobe. And um, he left us with so many different uh, memories, but it's still sad to think it was just a year ago that we lost Kobe. Can't believe it's been a year, man. It's wild, 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 wild. Uh, We are keeping it 94 and we are a part of the basketball news podcast network. Make sure you go to our website, Check out all the other great podcasts we have. Neat and Unfiltered with Kenyon Martin Sr., The Posecast with James Posey, Dishes and Dines with the Ladies, The Rematch with Eton Thomas, The Dunker Spot, a very good analytical podcast, X's and O's galore with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr., The Alex Kennedy Podcast. He has awesome guests on there. Make sure you check that out. The Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan, The Follow Through with Clips and Drew, and of course, your boys right here on Keeping It 94. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to them. So make sure you give us a rating, subscribe, and leave us a comment because we're trying to make this thing big. But until next time, enjoy your week, enjoy the NBA, and we will see you.